you are here on purpose with a purpose by design. Hello and welcome back to Purpose by Design. You are here on purpose with a purpose by design, not by default. Yay! I am Dr. Pamela Hinkle and I am so excited to share some powerful women with you tonight who have some amazing stories. And I'll tell you what, these women are speakers. And as Mr. Les Brown always says, speakers speak. So I hope you have your notebook and you have your pen like I do, because they are going to be dropping some gold nuggets tonight. When you bring speakers on a show, you expect to hear some stuff. So if you're ready, I am ready. Are we ready, team? Let's go. I am so excited. I welcome Berlinda. Oh, I'm sorry. Berlinda, I want to say your name right. Miss Berlinda, I welcome you. And Miss Latoya, I welcome you. I'm so glad you're here tonight. Yay! Woo! <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. And I want to give each of you a chance to introduce yourself and tell us all about you. So, Berlinda, why don't you start us off and tell us, who are you? First of all, hello, everybody. God bless you. Thank you for having me on the show. Um, I'm Berlinda Love. I am a pastor in Valdosta, Georgia. So most people here call me Pastor Love. Uh, but I always say all my friends call me Berlinda. Um, my church is Peyton AME Church in Valdosta, Georgia. I have been here now four years. I relocated here in 2018 after my parents passed away in 17. I was born in Valdosta, so this is like coming back home. But I was pretty much raised uh, in New Jersey, and I spent most of my working career in that state. Um, I don't know how much you want to hear about me. I have a whole lot I want to share with you, but uh, I'm a retired school teacher from New Jersey, from Trenton, New Jersey. And um, most of my family, my immediate family members are still in New Jersey. So I'm just um, here to share with all of you some things about me with hopes that it will bless you in some way. Oh, absolutely. It will. And Pastor Berlinda, Pastor Love, I have to say, well, we have things in common. I pastored for 25 years. So, oh my gosh, can good for you be yes. the woman at the helm of that is a is a calling for sure. Right. You got to be called to it. And that means that you are and you have a word in due season for us tonight. And my antennas went up. I heard pastor. I'm like, okay, easier <laughs> with something to say. Thank you for sharing with us and letting you know, letting us know who you are and where you're hailing from. And I'm excited to hear more of your story. Uh, Miss Latoya, jump on in and tell us, who are you? All right. Well, hello, hello. And um, thank you so much for um, this opportunity to be on your platform with you. I'm very excited about it. Um, but my name is Latoya D. Buchanan. I am a registered nurse and a board certified family nurse practitioner. Um, I've been practicing nursing for the past 12 years. Um, my specialty has been pediatrics. So for the COVID crisis, um, I ended up moving to Houston, Texas, but I originally reigned from North Carolina. So I I am a Carolina girl at heart. 
Um, and so I've been here in the Houston area helping out with COVID crisis and helping some of the kids get prepared to go back to school, doing a lot of education, training and teaching. Um, but in working with children, I have always had to work with the families as well. So I find myself not only nursing the children, but nursing the mothers, the fathers, the grandparents, whoever is in their life, um, you know, as their guardian or raising them. But um, so I've been enjoying nursing throughout the past 12 years. I've also done some mission work in um, Peru. I went there on a spiritual mission, of course. But, you know, my message is one that comes along with the health of a person as well as their spirituality and bringing it together, you know, because we are holistic people. And so we should be treated holistically. Um, so that is a very firm belief of belief of mine. Um, I am a single mother. And I say that proudly of three beautiful children. Um, it was definitely not my plan to be a single mother, but um, I have definitely come across some challenges and I have been victorious in those challenges and have chosen to see myself as not a victim, but a victor. And that's the message that I've come to bring today, one of light and one of hope to everyone who's listening. So thank you once again for having me here. Oh my gosh. Wow. Well, first of all, Ms. Latoya, thank you for your service to the country, to the, to the surroundings of Houston, to be a frontliner during the COVID season. God bless you. Thank you for being there to run that interference and be that beacon of hope in that arena. My family and I went through COVID twice. <laughs> and so we know what it is like. And so grateful for the people that were there in the medical community to help us and to take care of us. Where would we be without you? Thank you for being brave and for having a servant's heart. And yes, I, I can see that you have quite a story just serving through the COVID crisis alone, but as a single parent, the moving that you've had to do, the schooling that you've undertaken, Oh, I am sure we are going to hear a lot from you tonight. I'm really excited that you're here and uh, you just, you both, you ladies take your liberty and share as you feel led to. So let's just continue on in this flow, Latoya, since I'm speaking with you, you're a speaker. And as I already said, Mr. Brown says speakers speak. So tell us a little bit of your backstory, the journey that brought you into the place where you are now considering yourself a speaker and you're out doing podcasts and speaking at different events. How did that evolve? Well, it was definitely not one that I chose. Let me say that. Um, I was very shy as a child. Um, a lot of my speaking began inside of my head. And I expressed it through journals and writing creatively at school. And I had teachers that would pull me to the side and say, you know, I really got a picture of what you were saying, um, you know, in your writing. And they would encourage me to continue to write. And so once I got in middle school, um, I enrolled in this uh, writing contest and um, I was I want it. <laughs> I want it. And I actually wrote about a creative story about how a skunk got its uh, white line down its back. And I was very shocked. It was published in the middle school newsletter at the end of the week. Very proud of it. I still have that paper to this day. 
but just anything I've ever experienced in life, I've expressed it on paper. Um, and so I had my pastor that started to recognize that in me as well. And she said, you know, a writer and a speaker can be simultaneous. You know, you don't have to be an expert speaker when you start to speak to people or you start to speak what's being given to you. Um, someone can actually, you know, train you and teach you how to do that you just need to express what it is that you're being shown what it is that you're seeing and when she did that and actually prayed uh, for me prayed with me i began to see things in people and begin to recognize things in people. Um, and it was a lot having to do with some of the challenges they were experiencing or, you know, maybe a question that they had or some things they were going through. Um, that's when my, um, you know, concern for a person's health actually came into effect as well. And that's when I chose nursing because I saw people as holistic beings. I'm like, wait, we're not one way, we're not another way, but it takes multiple things to help us balance our, our, our you know, just get a balance in life and just balance it in our mental ability to think, um, our mental ability to be able to make decisions, sound decisions, um, to be able to overcome things in our lives. Um, and so as I began to speak that to different youth, it actually started in youth, um, I spoke at my church conference and then I had different ministers come to me and say, hey, can you come to our church? Can you speak to our youth? And that's when I began to see, wow, I really have a heart for this because I'm actually helping people. You know, and they would come to me afterwards with tears or they would reach out to me on social media um, or they would get my email address and let me know, hey, when you said this to me, it really resonated with me. And I was able to go home and make some changes in my life. And I want to let you know the results of that. And they have always been positive. Um, I've had people to reach out to me that may be having some issues implementing the tools that I'm speaking about, and I can actually coach them through that as well. So that's how that all kind of began for me. And, and once I started, um, you know, doing nursing, then I would have my professors come to me and they wanted me to speak at alumni balls and nursing association meetings, advocating for disadvantaged nursing students to get more funding to the school. And so it started developing from there as well. Um, and then I started having nonprofits come from a result of that. So every engagement that I've had to be able to speak and touch someone's lives, I've been really transparent. Um, I definitely try to paint the picture of what it is that I see in my day-to-day -day experience, what I'm experiencing with nursing students, what I'm experiencing with youth in the community. I want to paint that picture for people to see, you know, realistically what's occurring to be able to touch their hearts, for them to be able to give or give of their time, give of their resources to make a positive change in someone's life. So that's beautiful. And it all started or really rolled out for you after your pastor prayed for you. Yes, absolutely. That's wow. where my confidence came. That's where your confidence came. Mm -hmm. Why do you, what made the, I mean, we know, okay, your pastor prayed for you. God brought the confidence, but just pull those covers back a little bit more, pull that curtain back a little bit more for us. Mm -hmm. what, did, what was that like? Cause you said your confidence came then. And I also wrote down that, uh, you began to see things in people. Yes. What, just walk us through that a little bit. So initially what I would see in a lot of young girls, me seeing things was a lot of what I had experienced. So mm -hmm. um, issues with self-esteem, um, issues with self-worth, 
issues with your father not being in your life. You making decisions because you have dad issues. And so as I'm seeing these young girls make these decisions and I'm, I'm you know, pulling them to the side and have these conversations, I would get tears. And I'm like, wow, we actually relate as human beings on such a larger scale than we begin to understand. You know, we think we're just experiencing things on our own and no one else is experiencing it. But even the Bible tells us for us to be encouraged and be cheerful, knowing that what we're going through, our brethren in the world have already overcome it. So someone has already gone through that. And not only did they go through it, they were victorious in it. So it made me feel comfortable knowing, oh, my goodness, I'm able to actually give them some of the tools that I use to get through my dad issues or get through some of the tools that I use when I dropped out of high school because I did that before now having a master's degree. So initially it was it was a little scary but once she prayed for me i got that confidence and then i began to really understand and read the promises of god and what he had spoken about me in my life and i'm like wait he's given me this gift and it's actually giving freedom to other young girls and that's where that confidence came in like you know what this has nothing to do with me it's so much greater than me and it's accomplishing his will and his purpose in the earth so i felt like i had to do it you know i was really you know, passionate about it. And I just, again, I love seeing people's lives being changed by it. So that's where that confidence came from, just his promises and me understanding this is his will and what he wants for me. Wow. That is an important piece to camp on for just a moment. Does everybody hear that? That that confidence comes when God speaks to you. And so thank God for your pastor that was willing to speak into you. But for all of you out there, when there's something that you got to say to somebody, you got to say it. Yeah. And uh, just know that God will use you to speak into somebody else's life. Look at what has happened with LaToya. Not only is she now a speaker, but gone into the nursing profession, used greatly through the COVID crisis and still being used in, in that arena. But one thing that has stuck out to me greatly that she's many, but this is something that you said, LaToya, you dropped out of school but you have a master's degree. I mean, come on. Yes. That is powerful. Yes. And then you're speaking and encouraging people all over the world. Absolutely. Man, I'll tell you what, is there anything too big for God? Come Nothing. on. Nothing. Beautiful. Oh my gosh. I was so excited to hear some more of your story. Thank you for sharing that. Pastor Love. I love calling you Pastor Love. Thank <laughs> you. Awesome. So, oh my goodness, being a pastor means having to have that shepherd's heart, right? Yes. You, know, you don't just show up on Sunday morning and deliver a good message. You need to, you know, that's, I, I always said, that's like 10% of the job, right? The rest of it happens from, from Sunday afternoon until, you know, Saturday night with the people. So uh, you are a speaker in your own right, not just because you uh, preach on a Sunday morning. You obviously um, are an established uh, wordsmith. And so I know you have quite a story for us to hear. Uh, and, and entangling that with that shepherd's heart, that love for people, that's amazing. So share with us a little bit about your backstory, your journey along the lines of speaking that brought you to where you are today. Yes. 
Well, the first thing I'd like to say is that I am single. I don't have my own children, but I have several nieces and nephews, great nieces and nephews that have my heart and my money. <laughs> um, when I think of my journey and where I've come from, when I look back, I realized that God orchestrated every single step. It's amazing. You yes. don't realize that when you're going through hurdles and hard times and things like that, but there is a reason why God allows those things to come into our lives. Mm -hmm. I have to go back to elementary school. Um, I was in Woodrow Wilson Elementary School in Trent, New Jersey. And I must say, I have to give credit to all of those teachers, principals, people that were in my life in the school system in Trenton Public School District. Some that I still try to find and talk to even though they're elderly now. But they gave us as students a wonderful foundation to move forth in life with. I have to give them that credit because I think my teachers were some of the best ever. There were no students left behind in our school, none. They were rigid, but we learned from them and we were able to move forward in life because of the care, the love that they, and the undergirding. They were our family away from home. And there were so many times that I just wanted to stay at the school and eat lunch with a teacher. You know, back then we didn't have cafeterias. We had to walk to and fro four times a day. So we had to go home for lunch and go back to school and then home again. And I would always ask my mother, can I stay and eat lunch with this teacher or that teacher? And I used to love them. I would take these big red, which called Washington apples to the teachers. I don't think kids do that today, but things like that meant a lot to me. And the teachers were just part of it. My parents were the other part. They're both deceased now in heaven, but I have to give them credit for being two of the most wonderful parents that I feel any children could ever have. And I had the privilege and the honor of eulogizing both of my parents and actually caring for them as a caregiver in their final years, full time. So when I think of them and how they were both teachers, they were both educators, they retired together the same year in 1994, and then they lived life to the fullest until they passed away. Um, my church life started in a little church. We lived, our first home was in East Trenton in a row house. And it's, it's an urban area. And there was a little church that you could almost see from our house and it was the Church of God in Christ, Holy Cross, Church of God in Christ. Now, my mother worked nights for 17 years at the Trenton Psychiatric Hospital. They call that graveyard shift. My father went to the AME church. My mother was Baptist, but she would let us go to Sunday school there because she could actually see the church from the house. And that church gave me my background, I would say. From that church, um, a neighbor decided to take us to her church, El Bethel Baptist Church in Trenton, New Jersey. That's where I really started to work in the church. Our church was located in the middle of several schools, Trenton Central High School, Junior High School number four, 
and several elementary schools. So all of those children came to our church. And it was there that uh, I was baptized at an early age. And the pastor has been deceased for several years now, Reverend John A. Gaines, a wonderful, wonderful man and his wife, uh, Mother Dorothy Gaines. They're both in heaven. But I remember teaching Sunday school. That was my first job in the church, the junior class, maybe some 50 students. And I'm not kidding when I say that. We had so many. We had a mass choir that I sang in. And I stayed there until I went to college. My parents had then moved to the township. They had left the inner city, bought a home in Ewing Township. And um, I went to Ewing High School instead of Trenton High School. I didn't like that so much. That was not a good time for me. I had to adjust because all of my friends went to Trenton Central High School and my parents moved. And therefore I had to leave my friends and all the people I had grown up with from elementary school. And I didn't really like it the first year. I don't think I did my best. Um, I, I won't say that I rebelled, but it was sort of a rebellion in a sense when you think about it. But I soon fell in the line and um, Ewing High School wasn't bad at all. But my parents um, still allowed us to go to El Bethel. There was a deacon, Deacon Green, that would pick us up on the van and he lived around the corner mm -hmm. from us. And my sister and I would go to El Bethel we would stay for morning worship. After that, we'd go over to the pastor's house where his wife would have cooked a wonderful meal. We'd eat dinner with, um, with them and their daughter, Debbie. And we'd just stay there for a while and had three o'clock service every Sunday. So we'd go back to church again every Sunday. After that, my father would pick us up. And when I finished high school, I changed. You know, when you go to, when I finished college, I should say, when you go to college, you come back thinking that, well, you need something a little more. And I had gone to another church, Union Baptist in Trenton, where this pastor was such a great orator, I wanted to be under him. And I would actually go home and I would pretend that I was preaching like him in front of the mirror. Nobody saw that but me, by the way. <laughs> and um, I stayed there some 20, over 20 years at that church. That church is where I again taught Sunday school, the junior class, the pastor came in and said, I'm going to promote you. This was after a few years. I want to promote you to the adult class upstairs. I need you to go and start the adult Sunday school class. And I didn't know what to do because I said, the adults, they know more than me. How can I do that? You know, um, it was at that church that I became the first director of Christian education. I made my jobs there. Most of the members were seniors. They were in their elderly uh, years and the deacons and deaconesses, I was friends with all of them. I loved the older people. And so when I got ready to preach, I just sort of walked up in the pulpit and did it. Um, the first in my community, the first woman to go into a traditionally black church and stand up at the pulpit. But it was at that church that something else happened. Um, I applied to Princeton Theological Seminary from that church. Little did I think that I was going to be accepted. But three months later, after I applied, I was accepted. And I had a hard time getting ordained because, you know, back in that time, a lot of men didn't really think women should be ordained. But there was a miracle that happened. Um, I met someone, a pastor, 
at a boys and girls club banquet that was being held at my church. We had a very large boys and girls club. And um, he came to our church for that banquet. And mm -hmm. after that, he invited me to come to his church and talk to his pastor because I needed somewhere to do what they call field education. Two years of training under a pastor. I had done one in a um, non-African-American church in Morristown, New Jersey, and that I wanted to see a contrast and do one in an African-American church. Well, I went up to meet with the pastor and he said to me at that time, he showed me a, a, a program and he pointed to it and he said, oh, uh, Mrs. Houston is a member here. I didn't know who he, I said, who's that? The mother of Whitney Houston, the famous singer. So I didn't know that I, I was going to such an affluent place. He accepted me and I was in a pulpit with surrounded by men. It must've been eight or 10 of us up there. And I was a student and it's so, it's so wonderful what happened up there. He put another woman in the pulpit with me. He ordained, he licensed and ordained her so that I wouldn't be there alone. Patty Pulliam Barnes. This lady was the niece of the little, well, she's an adult now, the little Barnes, uh, a Pulliam girl that was on the Cosby show many years ago. Sure. That was her aunt, yes. She had a really, really bad heart. She wound up passing away um, before I left the church. I was there three years. But while there, he ordained, he licensed me and then he gave me something to read. I wanted to be ordained right away. And he said, when you learn this, he gave me the 18 articles of faith, a little booklet. He said, when you learn everything in here, that's when I'm gonna ordain you. Hmm. But what he was doing was buying time for me to finish going to school. He wanted sure. me to get my education. Every year I would ask him, and I stayed there three years, are you going to ordain me? He said, have you learned what I gave you to learn yet? And I hadn't. But one day I walked into him and I said, I think I'm ready. He said, have you learned everything? I said, yes. He stood up, he said, let me hear it. And I started to quote the articles of faith and he looked at me, he said, I think you're ready. He wanted to have me ordained on a Saturday, I said, no, I want a Sunday. Now this was like around the spring. He said, well, the only Sunday I have is Labor Day weekend. I said, I'll take it, I'll wait. Labor Day weekend was such a blessed occasion for me. I didn't realize so many people would come to see me get ordained mm -hmm. at that church. But that was the beginning of a lot of things. It was beginning of good things and the beginning of other things because I was also at one time the youth director for the state of New Jersey Progressive National Baptist Convention. And I had like 125 children that we would take, we would rotate and go to a different church every Sunday and I would preach from the pulpit, speak from the pulpit, I should say, because I wasn't ordained yet. Wasn't even thinking about it. Once I got ordained, those doors started slamming in my face. The same pastors that, I, that had opened up their pulpit to me then shut them. And so some years went by and um, when I spoke to um, another 
friend of mine who was deceased and he was like a mentor. He was a pastor. And I told him at that time what I wanted to do. I said, I want to go to Princeton. And he said to me, don't toot your horn so loud. Whatever you want to do, do it, but do it quietly. Hmm. Don't brag about it. He said, I can't, I couldn't ordain you or anything like that in my church, but I'll do everything I can to help you. Every mentor that I had passed away on me. So I was there to fight by myself. And when I got into Princeton, the very first day I was on that campus, something happened that made me cry. I just cried these big alligator tears. And it was in the business office, actually, where you go and get your grants and things like that. And the man just sort of, he said he did something to make me cry. And then he didn't know what to do. There I was bawling my first day on campus. And it came to be a situation that was so tough for me going to that school because I was teaching at the same time. And then they told me I had to stay on, um, on campus. You have to be a resident here. So I had to apply for a leave from my job. They wouldn't give it to me. So my union said, you know what? I was teaching science and they said, that was an excuse. We need science teachers. They said, go, resign because we have to fight for a new contract. We're gonna get a leave in there. And when we do, we're gonna call you, go down and get it right away. And they did. So I was able to go to school. And the wonderful thing about that school and I had been to Rider University for my master's before that, Trenton State College is where I got my undergrad, um, the College of New Jersey now. But the wonderful thing about that school was how they all pitched in to help me to get my degree, my Master of Divinity. They knew the struggles that I was having in Trenton with the school district. They knew that I was a woman uh, in ministry in a black church and sometimes that you know we have problems but they helped me they helped me they did so much to help me they had courses at night in the houses of the professors my supervisor in science at the high school told me if you want to go to school if you want to go go as long as you can get a teacher a certified teacher to cover your classes go so god was in the midst of it all yes that's what I'm saying to you. I had so many hurdles and I would be crying a lot. And I would go into the president's office at the seminary and I'd just be bawling, Dr. Gillespie, who turned out to be one of my very best friends. And when I went to graduate in Princeton University Chapel, I walked up there, he looked at me with the sweetest smile. He gave me my diploma in one hand and he shook the other hand and he said, well, look who made it. Mm -hmm. I knew I had a friend in him and he's gone on now to glory. But one thing has happened after another. So I left the Baptist church, went over to AME where I have been for 25 years. I have had three churches, one in New Jersey, two in Georgia, right here in Valdosta. I'm on my third church now, Peyton AME Church. And when I look back, I just kind of think that, you know, God is the one that guided me down that way. Because when I went to seminary, I didn't go to be a preacher. I went to learn enough so that I could teach the adults in the adult class that the pastor made me start. Because they were all deacons, deaconesses, and older women, and I knew that they would have more knowledge than I did. But 
as I went through my coursework, other things started to happen, which guided me to where I am today. It's been a wonderful blessing. I, I, it's so much. I just wish I could tell you everything, but God was the one that orchestrated it. And I've had some rough times. I'm in South Georgia. I've had a run up against more obstacles after all these years that I would never have expected. Why? Because they see women in more nurturing roles mm -hmm. as teachers, nurses, missionaries, evangelists. Degrees don't matter to them. That's how women are traditionally uh, viewed in the church. But one thing I must say, the AME Church has women pastors everywhere. We have several right here in my city. So that has been my journey. Uh, my parents got, um, I moved out of my apartment and moved in to help my mother care for my father, after which she had a stroke. And I wound up staying there with them for several years until they passed away. Um, and I buried them both in 2017, one month apart. Hmm. After wow. that, I relocated back here, but taking care of my parents, I will say that is the epitome of my life. That was the thing that I cherish most, more than anything else, because God placed me there as their angel. I realized that every time something happened to one of them, I was always there, every sure. single time. So I am so thankful for this opportunity to tell you a little bit about my journey. I thank you so much. Oh my gosh, what a beautiful story, Pastor. I mean, I'm just so touched, um, moved to tears. Your heart is so beautiful. And I just wanna circle back to a couple of things. And first of all, everybody listening and watching, she's demonstrating, Pastor was demonstrating what a shepherd's heart should be. Come on, the love that she has had all starting telling us about the love of for her teachers. And, and I wrote down this note, Pastor, you said that no student was left behind. Yeah. Can you talk about that just a little bit for us? What did, we know what that means, but can you expound on what that meant at that time and, and what it meant to those students? Let me just say this, um, our teachers were the type of teachers that made us learn. There was no such thing as you don't wanna learn. That just, it wasn't going to happen there. Mm -hmm. um, for homework at night, we were told to spend a half an hour studying for every subject. Wow. And because the teachers told us to do it, we did it. I would come home from school, I would do my homework right away and eat dinner. And if there was any time left outside to play, my parents would let us play out there just right in front of the porch. I mean, we couldn't run all over the neighborhood, but right in front of the porch. They were very strict, but they loved us. And um, the teachers, I remember all of them right now, just like it was yesterday. We, uh, some of the teachers would, every week they'd walk us to the little library on the corner from the school just a little building. And when I go back to Trenton now, I always ride past those buildings and, and remember them. We would go in a line 
every week to the library. And then they had something, it was a bus, a reading bus that would come to the school. And you could go on there and buy little books and things like that. Education was everywhere. Um, there were some things that happened uh, while I was at Woodrow Wilson School and I stayed there through sixth grade. Um, things like when President Kennedy um, was assassinated, we didn't really know much about him, but I saw all my teachers crying and they were just crying. I remember going to gym and uh, my fourth grade teacher was also teaching gym and uh, Mrs. Reed and everybody was crying and we just didn't know what was going on until we got home and we saw everything on the TV. But I will say this, um, our teachers were strict. They would come to your house. <laughs> I am telling you the truth. They knew our parents. My parents were kind of revered by the principals because they really loved my parents. My parents, even though they were busy, they made time for school, for PTAs and, and things like that. But they would, if they had a problem with you, they would knock on your door and come into the house and talk right in front of your parents. They don't do that today. But uh, they were the kind of people that they really loved us. And that made you want to learn. You know, when you go into a room and uh, another thing, we were not all on the same reading level. They had something called SRA, reading system. And it was a big box and it had cards that would, uh, the reading level would increase with each number. And you would work your way through the system. So every child learned to read. We had those Dick and Jane books, of course. Um, but every child learned to read at his or her own pace. Sure. And even if we had handicapped students, they were not left behind. We had parents that would go to every board meeting if they had a handicapped child to make sure their child got what they needed in the school. We loved our teachers so much, we would walk them to the bus stop if they didn't have a car after school. Every day I remember walking Mrs. Reed to the bus stop. And um, we had some that were pretty tough and um, we learned how to play instruments. We, we loved music. I learned how to play what's called an auto harp. It's sort of like a guitar that's flat. Yeah. And um, our teacher, Juanita Williams, taught us how to play an auto harp. I haven't seen one since I left there. And she also wrote the song uh, for the tercentenary uh, celebration for the state of New Jersey called the Tercentenary Year. And she taught us how to sing that. <laughs> they really worked with us. You know, it's not yeah. like, they weren't lazy. Um, they did what they had to do to make sure. Now, if we weren't doing what we were supposed to do, yes, we got disciplined. We went to the principal's office, which nobody wanted to go to. He was a wonderful man. All of our, we saw two or three of them. They were all great, but nobody wanted to go in there. Nobody wanted to get a call home because that was not a good thing at our house <laughs> right? <laughs> to get a call home. So they were like, um, they were behind us every step of the way. They watched us. They made sure that we did what we were supposed to do. And we actually loved going to school. Now, my parents weren't rich, 
many times my mother would shop at rummage sales. She and my great aunt would go to Princeton, New Jersey to some of these big churches and they would have annual rummage sales and she would buy new things, blouses and things like that for 25 cents. Sure. But when I went to school, the teachers always complimented me on how nice I looked. Wow. Wow. So those teachers, not only did they pour into you, they they impacted every area of your life, it sounds like. Everything. I still have a lot of the certificates that we got for penmanship and for the choir and for glee clubs, they called it glee club and and piano music lessons. I still have all my certificates. Oh man, that is so powerful, Pastor. And how they just poured into you and impacted your life. And it's so obvious that that was a foundation that the Lord built upon as you continue to grow and grow and grow throughout your life. Okay, so the question I know, Pastor, everybody is thinking right now is, what was it like to be in church with Whitney Houston's mom? You got to tell us about that. Phenomenal. Sissy Houston. I remember eating together with her at somebody's house. Not only was it Whitney Houston, I didn't know what I walked into there. Dionne Warwick's mother made one of the best, uh, we call them blackberry doobies down here. Mm -hmm. Hot and sizzling. I was at somebody's house and she happened to come in with that. Wow. Um, they had President's Day there when President Clinton, they shut down the whole city. He came for President's Day. Um, the Winans were always there. It was a marvelous place. And there I was sitting in the pulpit mm. in a place like that for three years. And um, it was simply marvelous. You know, Mrs. Houston was such a wonderful person. And on her tag, she had... I guess she called her daughter Nippy. Uh, she she had Nippy too on her Mercedes on the tag. Oh. Uh, when I first went there, her brother, who was a drinker, was the organist. I mean, he played this majestic organ. And her sister, Ann Moss, had a choir. She was a minister of music. And Mrs. Houston was a minister of music. She had her choir. She always tried to get me to sing in it because I sing soprano. She heard me singing one day. She said, I need you in the choir. <laughs> wow. Oh, but it was it was a blessing. It really was to have been there. Um, the pastor's wife was she's simply a beautiful woman. And um, while I was there, her cancer came back on her, which was very sad. And she wound up passing away. And I remember being in the audience because they had two funerals for her and the pastor then, Pastor uh, Charles Everett Thomas, sent someone out in the audience to bring me up to the pulpit to read scripture at his wife's mm -hmm. funeral. Wow. And there would be times when he would come to me, you know, I'd go in the office and he'd say, here, here's a hundred dollars. Mrs. Thomas and I know your struggle at school. We just want to help you out. And there was the time that I'm going to tell you, these are miracles. I was driving this four door, I think it was a Plymouth car and it cut off on me. I got off on exit 15 on the turnpike and it just cut off on me about a block away from the school, from the church, New Hope Baptist. And all these people in Newark, uh, one man was in a high rise. He saw me break down. He had his children in the car. He came and stopped to help me. 
Other people would stop. One lady gave me several bottles of water. One lady went to make a call and I asked her to call the church and tell them that I couldn't get there. Well, to make a long story short, one man said he fixed my car if I, you know, if I, he had to go all the way across town. There's only one place open on a Saturday, he said. And I said, well, I've got $20 and that's all I had. I gave that to him. He went and got whatever he thought was wrong, put it on the car. It got me to church. When I got to church, someone came up to me and said, the pastor asked me to tell you to send your keys. I sent my keys. Now, mind you, there was a, looked like a factory building across from the church with a big locked gate down. I never saw it open. Apparently, he knew the man who had retired from that shop. He was an auto repairman, an older man. They fixed my car and wow. charged me $25, which the pastor paid for me. I'd never had another problem driving that car. It was an hour and 10 minutes from my house. Oh my gosh. Pastor, your life is just so full of all these amazing stories. <laughs> and I want to thank you for being uh, a pioneer for women in ministry. Uh, because as being a woman in ministry myself, I understand the struggles that that I went through similar in some ways of, the, of what you have shared of just fighting for that position. You know that you're called to, but that the community wants to say you can't have because right. of, you're female and you really plowed through as you've shared your story with us. And I just want to honor that and thank you for being that pioneer and for not quitting because because you chose to do that, you plowed the path and the way for for myself and for others that are still coming today uh, and beyond uh, to be able to walk, uh, to follow in our footsteps, to follow in your footsteps. And so mm -hmm. thank you for not quitting. Thank you for pushing through. Uh, and thank you for sharing uh, your story tonight with us. And there's still more that we want to hear, but I just want to honor you in this moment. Thank you. Thank you so much, Pastor. You're amazing. Thank oh my you. gosh. This is just, you ladies are so powerful. Miss um, Latoya, back to you. I have a question for you. I hear your passion and your passion for the youth and your passion for health and, and to just, you know, get people aligned with that message. And so with that being said, what do you see yourself doing now as, as you step into like, we're coming to the closing of 2022. Can you believe that it, we're already in like that last quarter? Where do you uh, see God taking you with your message and your passion um, into 2023? What is your God intention with that? My God intention um, going into 2023 is to be able to let people know that they are not alone mm -hmm. and whatever their struggles are, you are not alone. There are people in the earth that have God-fearing hearts that are really willing to be a help to you um, because we've already gone through it. We're still overcoming. We're still going through. And it's really helpful for people to know that they have partners 
with them, people who partner with you, people who can hold your hand, people who can guide you through darkness to the light. So that's my ultimate goal is to be able to pass that message, whether that comes through writings, whether that comes through speaking, whether that comes through the parent I'm sitting next to at the PTA, sure. being able to share that message. That's ultimately what I would like to give to the world. What, what it is that God has given to me, I would like to give it to the world. And you're open to where that would come. You said on the stages, in writing, across the table. And so are, you are a writer. So yeah. where, what kind of projects or what are, what are you writing now? Is there anything that you have in the works? Yes. Right now I'm a part of an anthology um, called Undefeated. And it's an anthology of women who are coming together to talk about the challenges we've overcome in life, mm. um, whether it, that be, in my case, in an abusive marriage, um, thinking that marriage was the way for me to get out of the environment that I had um, seen all my life and no longer wanted to be a part of that. So the next step for me was marriage, right? Let me get a partner someone like-minded who appeared to be like-minded and create a different life for my children. Um, and that reality turned into abuse. And so to be able to let people know that sometimes you think that you're walking into a better situation. And if it's something that you have not prayed about, if it's something that God has not given you guidance on, if it's an environment that's dark, if you're being put down, if emotionally you're being broken, if your thoughts about yourself become negative, if your thoughts about your world become negative, that is not of God. That is not an environment he has placed you in. And his ultimate goal for you is for your safety. And that's what I had to accept. So that's what I'm contributing to the anthology is how to be able to transform your mind about yourself and to identify self-love as a way to love others. So the way that you love yourself is the reflection you will give to everyone else. So that's one of the, um, something that I have in the works right now, along with um, every in speaking, speaking engagement that I can make, of course, always trying to take care of the children with any crisis that we have on in healthcare. But anytime someone is inviting me to their stage, I definitely like to know what their purpose is, you know, what they're speaking to whomever their audience is and having them to understand what my message is and what I would like to contribute. Now, I am not your traditional religious speaker. <laughs> um, I, I don't have any um, theological degrees or anything like that. But again, when I'm speaking, I'm speaking the reality. I'm speaking my perspective and what I see. And usually there are multiple people in the audience that definitely can agree with seeing the same thing. But the issue underlying is, okay, now what do we do about it? Right. What do we do about it? So I'm open to wherever it is that God has me. I'm very open. Oh, my gosh. And it's so amazing because the doors have just you've just walked through one door and it opens. I mean, I have my notes down here where you started speaking in one place and then pretty soon you're speaking over here. And then there's nonprofits that want you and your boss that want. like that's amazing. So the calling is calling. 
And, and you are walking right from one door into the next door, bringing this message. And, and that message of self-love is really needed. Well, it's needed everywhere. But to understand that God does want you to love yourself, but being certainly that's scriptural, but that message can get lost in translation um, when we're always, when we're thinking about always putting others, you know, you've yeah. heard that statement, joy, Jesus, others, yourself. And, and that is so true, mm-hmm. but not in the way where we forget about taking care of us. Absolutely. And yeah. you touched on that. I'd like you to go a little bit further with that. Um, talk about self-love and self-care for a moment because it is a big deal. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, in my reading, um, because my, my faith is Christian. So in my reading of the Bible, what I see with Jesus, even when he's teaching to the masses, he always had moments mm-hmm. when he would take away for himself, you know, and he would have that direct communication with God. He was taking care of his physical and spiritual body. Yes. And a lot of times we think, you know, well, we're showing other people we love them by self-sacrifice all the time because that's the only message we're interpreting from Jesus. But he, he led by example and showed us how to take care of ourselves. You have to have that time, your own prayer time your own meditation time. And as a single mother of three, I can definitely tell you, I know it's not easy to try to schedule that time, but you have to get creative. For me, that time could be when I'm preparing in the morning, getting up a few more minutes early, or when I'm taking my personal time in the restroom. Sometimes it might not be anything I need to do in the restroom. I just go in there because nobody's going to bother me, right? (laughs) So... That's my time that I'm utilizing to pray, to meditate, and to listen to my own thoughts. That became major for me because when my thinking has been negative, my actions have become negative. But when my thinking have been of life, when I'm speaking God's promises over my life, I'm the head only and not the tail. I'm blessed in the city. I'm blessed in the field. When I begin to say those things, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's how when I chose to leave the abusive marriage, I made the decision to get a master's degree because I recognized what it would take to raise three children independently. Well, let me say interdependently because I'm talking to God about it all the time. But in, in not even trying to consider, will I have someone else to help me? But what can I do with, with the strengths and the abilities and the talents that God has given to me, the knowledge, the gifts, what can I do? And I'm going to take my career, my calling, because nursing to me is a calling. I'm taking that a step further. And in me taking that a step further and in me taking care of myself, recognizing what I need to do to take care of my household, now I'm helping others. Now I'm being compensated. And as I continue to help others, I continue to be compensated. And as I continue to see trends in healthcare and things that's going on with women, their mentality, their lack of self-love, mental health disorders throughout the COVID crisis, depression, anxiety, talking people, talking not just children, again, their families that's there. You know, mom and dad have lost their job due to COVID. Now the child is sick. They're all in the hospital. What can they do? I'm talking everyone through this and I'm being compensated for that. So God has blessed me for that. Um, And he has shown me and you taking care of you. It helps you to connect more with other people. It helps you to be able to speak positive, positive affirmations over them. 
my promises over them, they can now utilize those tools to begin to love themselves and be able to spread their light to and love other people. So that's where the self-love starts for me. And I'm really big on me doing things for myself. So whether it's just going to the nail salon and getting a manicure or a pedicure, um, if it's just a massage, it doesn't have to be once a week or once every two weeks, as frequently as your finances will afford you to. But understanding that if there is no you, you cannot help anyone else. Even when you ride the airplane, they teach you, if anything goes wrong, you have to put the mask on yourself before you can help someone else. That lets you know if you are, your brain is deprived of oxygen, you're passed out and you definitely can't help the person next to you. So yep. you have to give yourself, you know, the the oxygen in that, in that case, the oxygen for your brain, the nutrients for your body, you have to eat. You have to take care of your mental health, your physical body, so that for me, in my case, I can be present with my children, not just physically, but mentally I'm here. Mentally, I can hear how your school day went, okay? Mentally, I can hear if my mother or my father calls me, if a sibling or a friend calls me. I can be in that moment with them and not so stressed out because I'm trying to figure out how can I take care of these kids by myself because God has already taken care of that for me. He's already shown me what to do. Now that I've taken care of myself and I'm seeing it's continuous in that private time, in my meditation, in my speaking scriptures over myself, in my positive affirmations. Now, when someone calls me, I don't feel completely depleted. Right. I can feel that, you know, I've given some things away. But guess what? When I go back to my prayer and I go back to my meditation, I'm being filled a hundred times over, a hundred times over, a hundred times over. And now I can give out. But if I'm empty, I have nothing to give you. I can't help myself. Then I can't help you. That is so true. And, you know, there, there's a statement that you made about making that decision to live independently. And that's a big statement. And I just want to just want to hold a kind of a mirror reflection back to you and say you owned your life mm. in those moments. and. Because you did that, you know, we own it along with God, but, you know, he gave us the life and now what we do with it is our gift back to him. Mm -hmm. And by doing that, now giving that back to him, owning it, now look all that he is doing through you and with you and for you. And that is so impacting, LaToya. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much for being here. And before we finish, I'm going to be circling back to pastor here in a moment, but is there anything else? that you didn't get a chance to say, Miss LaToya, that you want to say? And can you tell everybody how they get in touch with you and how they follow you? Absolutely. Absolutely. I can be found on social media, Facebook, as well as Instagram at LaToya D. Buchanan. That's LaToya D. Buchanan. And what I would like to leave with everyone is you are not alone. You are not alone. So beautiful. Make sure you all follow her now. And that's in the description. Thank you, Miss LaToya. You are a blessing in the earth. Thank you. Pastor, oh my goodness, you have just empowered us tonight with your story. And I would love to just hear a little bit more from you before we wrap up here. 
where do you see God taking you into 2023? What's your God intention? Well, there's a song that says, where he leads me, I will follow. Yes, I love that song. <laughs> so at the age that I'm now and looking back, uh, my mother has left me as the matriarch of her line. And so part of what I want to do now is to make sure the family is okay. And, you know, everybody's doing great and just keep them together. That's what I see part of my role. And it's a little difficult being so far away, a thousand miles away from your family. Um, we do um, uh, Zooms and we talk on the phone, but it's still not like being there with them. And everybody's growing up, going to college and uh, getting jobs and buying houses and doing all of this. And I'm missing all of that. So I kind of miss that. Um, but also, um, I wrote three books. Um, they're not in publication now, um, but while t caring for my parents, um, in the middle of the night, I would write. The first book, a book of sermons. The second book, um, coping with my mother's stroke, a daughter's story. The third book, my mother's stroke and miracle recovery. Um, help books for people who might've been catapulted into the same type of situation that I was having seen my mother have a stroke at a ladies meeting in the library. Oh my and God. Um, so that changed the course of my life, changed the course of our whole family's life um, until the Lord called her home. And so um, I love encouraging people, women, you know, I want them to know that there's no perfect life. You know, we're going to have ups, we're going to have downs, but it's how we handle them. That Amen. makes the difference. How we still can look at God and say, I know you still love me. I know that you're going to bless me. And I know that trouble doesn't last always. None of us are perfect. None of us are perfect. No one's perfect but God, Jesus Christ. But yeah. we're striving per for perfection. We're human. We fall. God picks us up. And yeah. so uh, I want people, and especially coming out of COVID since... Um, you know, we were discussing COVID. COVID hurt a lot of people. Mm -hmm. There's still a lot of hurt yes. in them. Mm -hmm. And it's going to be there for a long, long time. And I like to try to bring healing to people. My family was not affected like so many millions of others were. I thank God for that. But I also pray for all of the people who went through such devastating things. I don't know if I could have survived some of the things that I saw happening to people's family members and things like that. So when I speak, I always like to bring uplifting messages for the people of God because they need to be loved at this time. Yes. Nobody needs the, you don't hit an ant over the head with a sledgehammer. I mean, I've, we've already been hurt. Yes, so we need somebody to pick us up. And uh, and that's what I want to do. So whether or not uh, the Lord opens up another platform for me to write, I'm, I'm also in the undefeated anthology. That's a blessing. And um, I won't go into elaborate more on what's coming. Let that be a surprise. Um, but I'm just open you know, to whatever God, um, you know, as we get older, we're not able to do a lot of the things that we may have wanted to do 20 years ago. So we have to be in line with 
our age, our health. And another thing, keep your health as good as possible. That's a message that I give to people. If you're in poor health, you cannot function properly. True. So that's what I'm doing now. I'm trying to be a lot more health conscious for myself. And I say that to other women, especially. So whatever God has in store for me. And uh, also I'm on uh, Facebook, Berlinda Love, Pastor Berlinda Love. Um, I'm on LinkedIn. I believe I'm on there as Reverend Dr. Berlinda Hart Love. And um, Twitter, Berlinda Love. Oh my goodness, Pastor Love, sharing the love of God with the world. And your story is amazing. And, and I appreciate it. I, I truly do. I appreciate both of you ladies. You brought the fire tonight and dropped so much knowledge into, into us. It has been amazing to hear your stories. And if, if we ever would doubt, is there a plan of God in, for our lives? Just stop for a minute and reflect on what these ladies have shared. How uh, for pastor, how things opened one door after another for her as she just like just went through it. This person, the favor of God shining on her and all, uh, all of this stuff. I mean, come on, Whitney Houston's mom. Maybe come on. Um, pastors just aligning up to, to take care of her and, and put her into the position so that she can be where she is today. And and our sister Latoya going from not being able to graduate school to having a master's degree and the invitations to go out and speak coming to her after she received the confidence to answer her call and answer the call, right? Not just the phone call, right? Answer the call after her pastor prayed for her. These ladies have really brought it home tonight or today, whenever it is that you're watching or listening of the power of the call on your life. And that if God says it's going to happen, well, then who <laughs> it's going to happen. We just got to, we just have to be obedient and walk it out. Yes. So ladies, I'm so grateful that you were here. Thank you for being transparent and sharing your stories tonight. You are very appreciated and you're a blessing to the body of Christ and beyond. I applaud you both. Thank you for being here tonight. And thank you for having me. Thank you. Such an honor. And thank you to everybody who has tuned in. I'm asking you to do us a favor. Like and subscribe and share because these stories need to go around the world. These are speakers. These are women empowering nations. This platform can get their story into the ears of somebody that needs to hear it, into the face, the eyes of somebody who needs to hear it or see it, excuse me. So would you do them a favor and like it and share it? There's somebody you know that needs to hear this message. You know who they are. Get this message to them. It's so easy. You can share it in an email. You can share it on social, social media. You can put it in a direct message. But let's take this message to the world. And what is that message? Well, it's that you're here on purpose, with a purpose, by design. You see that in my guest tonight. 
they're not here walking through life in default. Go on out there and be the salt and the light everywhere you go. We'll see you next time on Purpose by Design. Bye. Pamela Hinkle is a mindset mentor, author, speaker, minister, and transformation coach. Her weekly podcast, international radio show, and television show are a lifeline that changes lives and inspires people to discover their individual potential through realizing their purpose by design. Pamela is a natural motivator and has shown many how to find their niche and transform their lives. Although success is an uphill battle, Pamela gives the necessary strategies to flourish, cheering you on every step of the way. Pamela shares from her personal experiences, education, and life as a woman in leadership, utilizing decades of knowledge. Taking the approach of, let's have coffee and chat, she will awaken your dreams and purpose by design. Are you ready for Pamela to help guide you? Email us at purposewpamela.office at gmail.com or go to her website at purposewithpamela.com.